The question that I ask from Colossians 2, which started the whole process of the theme of baptism, is why? Is there something significant about this process? And yes, there is. And I want to go from the end to the beginning and to say this. When Jesus Christ was on earth in teaching us the things that should pertain to God and our relationship with him, and as he was getting back to return to heaven, he left the church with what is known as two ordinances. One of them was the Lord's Supper. This do in remembrance of me until I come. And we'll look at the end of the message where the last thing Jesus said to the disciples before he left to go back to heaven, go into all the world, to all the nations, and preach the gospel, baptizing. So it is not just something that we think about as a church. It is something that God, Jesus himself, if you please, the head of the church says should be done by the church and for the purpose of identifying those who are truly born again. That's the text of Scripture. That's not found in our, our, our um, books of, of, of uh, whatever. <laughs> it's what the Scripture says. And we, we ended the last message dealing with the spirituality of baptism. That's where Colossians 2 comes, and where we will see it when we look at what does it mean? Because it has meaning. And that meaning was read to us a few weeks ago when Romans chapter 6 was read. And we'll come to that after Easter because next week we'll start a series on the sufferings of Christ. And so this morning we want to look at Acts chapter 8 beginning at verse 26 as we were reading. And this I have titled the example of baptism. The example it was done, and how it was done. And we had just started last uh, two weeks ago, and I want to go back there this morning. I suggested to you that there are three movements in Acts chapter 8, 26 to 38, that we see concerning baptism and how the church gets its marching orders from Jesus to proceed in that way. First, the prelude to baptism. The prelude or what goes before. One of the most amazing things with this text is you look in verse six, uh, chapter 8 and verse 26. Philip was having a great, great, what we call evangelistic crusade in Samaria. People were coming to Christ. God was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. And right in the middle of that, God directed Philip away from there to go to Gaza. <laughs> and the text tells us it was a lonely place. In other words, there were not a lot of people there. In fact, there was only one person there. I, I can expand on that if it were necessary. Except to say, please notice, that God is not only concerned about the masses. 
He's concerned about the individuals. He's concerned about your life and my life as an individual. He doesn't see us as a conglomeration of people. He sees each one as he knows every star by name. He knows our names as well. And here was this lonely, disappointed, discouraged Ethiopian. You ask, where do I get that from? I get that from the text. When Philip went to him, we are told that he was returning from Jerusalem where he had come from Ethiopia to worship. And he was going back still empty the same way he came. He, he, he was reading what he did not understand. And God was so concerned for this man that he lifted Philip by divine direction to leave where he was and sent him to this place. Here was this hungry heart. Here was this lonely heart. Here was this heart that was pining away to have its vacuum filled. And God is going to send Philip. The story is tremendous. I want you to understand something about Philip. Philip was not only consumed with what was happening in Samaria. Philip was able to sense the voice of God in the midst of spiritual prosperity. That's important. Because when we become prosperous, we begin to lose sight of who is really doing the work. I remember, and I, I don't have any, any delight in making, but you remember the program PTL? And, and read the books that, that after the fall, and listen, listen to one of the writers says, before PTL became prosperous, where the entire nation would be listening night after night to these two people, before that time, we used to meet, we used to drive ourselves, we used to meet every morning for prayer. We used to meet as a sense of people dependent upon God. These are not my words, it's their words. And as the ministry grew, we started to lose sight of the source. We were driven to our offices. We, we, we flew in private jets. All of a sudden, because of the prosperity, they lost the sense of the voice of God, dependence upon God. And before too long, you know the story. I don't need to go into it anymore. Philip was not like that. Philip was conscious that whatever he was doing, whatever success he was having in Samaria was due to the Spirit of God whom he, the Lord Jesus, had left on earth. He says, you will be my witness when the Spirit comes. And whatever you do and wherever you see spiritual success, it is because the Spirit is present and working. It's not the genius. And Philip heard the voice of God. Go to a lonely 
place, on a desert place. It's called Gaza. And you will find a man there. And the man was reading. He was reading Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. He was still wondering, who is, who is, I went to Jerusalem to worship, and I still don't know of whom this man is speaking. And there's so much. Let me, let me suggest something to you. Philip was sensitive to the voice of the Spirit of God. But Philip was sent to a man that God had prepared to listen to Philip. Let me suggest to you, my friends, that as we talk about inviting people to Easter Sunday service, the reason I want you to pray first is because when you pray, God will prepare them. When you pray, God will touch their hearts so that at the right time, when you invite them to come, it will be because God has put your prayers and the openness of opening of their heart on, 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 on himself to you so that you are able to be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit and you're able to say, would you come with me? You're asking them, but God had already gone before you. I'd already done it. This is what we find with Philip. Philip was conscious of the fact that spiritual victories do not come by men's genius. Nowhere in the Bible we are told it is not by might, it is not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And my friends, as we think of the growth of our church, as we think of we want to see God doing things, we want to see God using us to touch the lives of people whose hearts are hungry, whose hearts are still wondering, who is this Jesus? You want to be able to be sensitive to God's spirit that God will lead you to them. The prelude to baptism. Look at the process. The process toward it. This is in verse 35. 835. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture. Let me ask a question. It might be embarrassing, but I don't want me to embarrass you. I just want you to see how important it is. For you and for me as a Christian, can God tap us on the shoulder at any point, either by sending us to someone or bringing them to us? Are we able to open our mouths and share the gospel with others? Are we able to tell someone how they can become a believer as we are? That's what Philip did. Philip was in an, this, this Ethiopian was reading an Old Testament passage. And look at what the text says. When Philip got up on the chariot, he sat with him and asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I, except someone helps me? That's how God has designed it, friends. God has not designed that people will become believers by hook or by crook. He has designed that people speak with people. That people share with people. Philip opened his mouth. But look at what he was so, he was so 
consumed by the scriptures that he was able to take the scripture that the man was reading and from there see and show him how Jesus Christ answers to it. That's significant. You know, when Jehovah Witness comes to your door, can you tell them who Jesus is? Can you share with them that Jesus is not a God, but Jesus is God? Can you share with them, you go to the scriptures and say, this is what the Bible says? By the way, I'm saddened that there are some Christians who are now saying now, don't go by everything the Bible, don't get excited over the Bible. Philip was excited. And Philip opened his mouth. What a tremendous, tremendous description of what happens. That when the word of God abides in us, when we open our mouths in witness, you know what comes out? The word of God. When it's in us, if, you abide, if my words abide in you, when you open your mouth and you speak to people, the word will be seasoned with grace because it's God's word. You will share with them in such a way that they'll be amazed that, that you speak that way. It was said of Jesus that when he spoke, he spoke with such kindness that people said never a man spoke like this man. Philip was a man, my friends, my friends, who was so full, as Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, I like this. Charles Spurgeon said, we should be so filled with God's word that if someone pricks us with a needle, we would be blibeen. <laughs> that our blood would be blibeen. That the word of God would have so consumed us that what, what comes out of us is the word of God. That instead of, instead of just words, what comes out of us are eternal truths. Jesus is the center of the scripture from Old Testament to New Testament. So that wherever a man might be in the Old Testament. Now, now please, one of the questions that some people like to ask is where did Cain get his wife from? If someone asks you that question, just say to them, that has nothing to do with your redemption. Because the Bible is not here to tell us about the details of lives that failed. It's here to tell us about God who loves lives that failed. So don't let them put you in a corner with that one. What did Philip do? He opened his mouth and he shared the gospel with them. Difference, please listen. We are living in a time where even the church no longer believes that people without Christ are lost. And it might affect us that when we want to share with them, we keep the gospel out. And what is the gospel? Philip shared with him that Christ died. That's what Isaiah 53 is speaking about. That he died not for his own sins. He didn't die denying that he was guilty. 
even though he wasn't. So why did he die? He died as a substitute. And Philip shared with him Christ and the cross. This is a pattern of scripture. In Acts chapter 10, verses 47 and 48, Peter went to the centurion. And Peter had all his arguments why he wouldn't go, but he was so gripped by grace that he went to the centurion. And before the centurion was baptized, he shared the gospel with him. Shared the gospel with him. In Acts chapter 16, 30, uh, 30, uh, 30 to, tw- to 37, the Philippian jailer was about to, to commit suicide. And Paul said, don't do yourself any harm. We are all here. And he asked, what shall I do to be saved? And Philip shared the, uh, Paul shared the gospel with him. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached that great sermon on the, the, the birth of the church, the people around asked, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What I want you to see myself, my friends, is the process. Nobody who was ever baptized in the Bible was ever baptized without the gospel being shared with them. No one. Anyone who would try it would come up against the scriptures. So I, I always love this. In Acts chapter 16, when the, the jailer went home and shared with his, with his uh, uh, family the gospel, they were all baptized. And I, I keep wondering, I wonder if they had a swimming pool. It was, it was midnight. I, I, I would, or I wonder if they sprinkled. I don't know. But one thing I know, they were baptized after the gospel was shared with them. This is biblical. And like I said last two weeks ago, I'm very much committed, very much committed to the Heidelberg um, Catechism or Confession or Creed, whichever term we want to use. But this one I find very hard to take. That infants do not have the ability to confess Christ. And nowhere in the rest of the Bible do we see that infants were baptized in place of their parents. We are told in 1 Corinthians 7 that godly parents protect their children with godliness, but not that they were baptized for them or that they become a part of the covenant of God by being baptized into that. Every man, every woman, biblical baptism begins with the gospel being shared. Thirdly, the pleasure of being baptized. I, I love this, and you cannot get it in the English setting. Acts 8, 36 and verse 38. 36 and 38. Look, look, look at it. As they went along, Philip was preaching, and the word preach is not like I'm doing this morning. The word preacher is to share, is to talk about these things in, in a conversational way. It's to take pleasure in sharing with someone something that is precious to you. (laughs) And as they were going, the Ethiopian saw water. How did he know that water was to be used for baptism? Because Philip shared it with him. 
That's how he knew. And he said then, there is water. Why can't I be baptized? Please notice two things. The desire came after he had received the gospel. After he had heard how Jesus died for them, and Peter, uh, Peter preached it in Acts 2, and Philip repeated it in Acts 8, he realized that baptism is a part of the whole process of being saved. And so he said, verse 37 is questionable in a lot of text. There are those who believe that the translators put that in there so that uh, what Peter had said might be repeated here. I don't know, so I will not even get into it. But this much I will tell you, that when he saw the water, the desire came from within. See, because friends, please listen. Baptism is a desire from within, not pressure from without. It's a desire from within. My illustration to you, no one has to tell me to wear my wedding band. I wear it. I sleep with it. I wake up with it. I shower with it. I play ball with it. I go to the gym with it. Never leave my finger. Once you are baptized, and we'll look at that in a moment, that becomes your identification, listen, before angels. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened, and God said, this is my beloved son. And when we are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, God takes note. The angels are taught what God's people do when Jesus becomes their Savior. We'll see this in a minute, or I can tell you from Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10 that this is what takes place. God takes notice. And so here is this man. What prevents me? I want to be. Philip, will you baptize me? Because I truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for my sins, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead, and that he's ascended to heaven. Philip, I believe that. And you know, I said to someone, I don't know how much they believe me, but I said, listen, in the New Testament, a church is not judged by the size of it. A church is judged by its belief, not by the size. Do we want to grow? Of course we want to grow. Do we want to see millennials in the church? Of course we want to do. But my friends, they will not come because we coerce them or because we put before them carrots that's ever going and never reaching them. It's because we will tell them that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He was raised from the dead and he said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That's what will bring life. The scripture says, God added to the church daily those who were being saved. And obviously they were baptized because Peter said that in verses 37 and 38. So let me come to my last point, the edict for baptism, the edict. You know what an edict is? An edict is a word or an order given by someone who has the authority to give it. And so I call your attention to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20. 
Let me share with you the source, the source of this, of this edict. It is true that in, that in Acts chapter 2, Peter is speaking. But Peter is not speaking words that originates with him. You read Acts chapter 2 and he will tell you, this is what the scriptures say, not what I am saying. <clears throat> so who is speaking here? Look at verse 18, if you please, of Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came up and spoke to them. The crucified, the risen, the ascended Jesus Christ now, just before his ascension, is speaking to the disciples. They're going to hear his last will and testimony, if you please. And he opened his mouth and he makes one thing absolutely clear. When I speak, God speaks. All authority in heaven, on earth has been given to me. Doesn't mean that Jesus is inferior to God. No. But the disciples had to understand that when Jesus was speaking... He is speaking of that which is in accord with the Godhead. All authority. That word is power. Right. You know, let, let, me, let me give you an example. The difference between authority and power. A policeman has authority but not power. If a policeman stands in front of a car coming at 80 miles an hour and puts his hand up and he, can, he continues to stand there, what will happen? He'll be run over. He has power. He has authority, but he doesn't have power. Jesus Christ can make that car stop. He has power. And so when he said, all power, all authority... Everything that you will need to stand before people and be a witness to them, all that has been given to me. I now speak as head of the church. In Ephesians 1, 18 to 20, we will not read it right now, but you, if you're taking notes, you want to put that. Ephesians 1, 18 to 20, it is said that when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, God made him head to everything in the church so that what Peter was speaking on Pentecost, my friends, is what God had ordained before time that should be spoken in the church. So the source of this whole idea of baptism is Jesus Christ because what the last thing he did, look at the substance. All authority, all power is given to me Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them. Disciples are baptized people. Now the word, and I won't get into this because we'll have some more to say about it later on. The word baptism, again, has caused a little bit of problem with people because some say it doesn't matter how. Now I beg to differ only from the standpoint that there are times, my friends, when someone cannot be dumped. 
And I have baptized people right here in this baptistry while they were sitting down because they were not able due to physical illness to get in. But on a whole, the word baptism means to dip. Listen to, listen to one of the nuances of the word. To be overwhelmed with wetness. It, it means that you go in. Because you will see later on that what Jesus is saying, that baptism is not only spiritual, it is also symbolic. And we'll look to that after Easter when we come to that. But it was Jesus who said, now look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. Significant, verse 20. From Matthew 28. Teaching them to observe how many things? All things. Teaching them to observe all things. Not some of the things, not most of the things which I have commanded you. So that, that, so that when, when, when we mention baptism, we are mentioning something that Jesus has commanded us to mention, to speak about. And I know, my friends, that sometimes a wonderful friend of mine, Lois and I know her, them very well, wonderful family friend of ours in Toronto. She just got baptized about a year or two ago, and she wrote me a little note that says, Winston, I'm so sorry that I didn't do this when you were here. I knew how you, you spoke with us, you shared with us, you preached on it, but I didn't see it until now. Well, I'm glad she did. Didn't matter that I didn't do it. It would been wonderful to do it because they were friends. But she, she was baptized as a little baby. But there was also a fear of water. <laughs> really fearful. And my friends, what we need to do at that time is to let our words be seasoned with grace so that we share with those that would like to be baptized in such a way, please listen now, that their baptism becomes a testimony to all that are observing that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the key. It is, it, it, it doesn't, there's not any magic in it. Peter goes on to say, baptism doesn't remove sin. Sin has been removed, therefore I can be baptized. That's what God has in mind. And so why baptism? Because the last thing Jesus Christ did before he left earth was to say, obey me. And everyone you teach, teach them to obey everything that I have said. This is not some secret doctrine with us. This is not some pet peeve of the pastor. This is the word of the Lord. Are we willing to obey him? Let me tell you the exciting thing that I see happening, friends. That when we take God seriously and he makes us a witness, God will use us as he used Philip to talk to people about Christ. And as he uses us to talk to people about Christ, those people will want to know, where do you go to church? And when you tell them, God will add to the church those who are being saved. Saved. Because the church, my friends, is made up of believing believers, 
baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, committed to obedience to Jesus Christ, and being a witness in the world until he comes. Let's make Soderville Church a witnessing church because of believers who are baptized and who want to follow Jesus Christ in everything he has commanded. Let us pray. Father, may the Holy Spirit convince and do the work that only he can do so that what was heard this morning was not the opinion of a man, but the word of God. I know, Lord, that you want to speak, and you are speaking. And in these few moments of silence, may we, like Philip, obey you and go. And with, like the Ethiopian, with the desire to have it fulfilled. God, I pray that if decisions were made this morning, they will be sealed. And Father, you will lead each one who has called upon you in one way or another, Lord, to make it known. Because one of the, <coughs> one of the things that Jesus said, that he doesn't, want us, he doesn't want to be ashamed of us in that day. And we do not want to be ashamed of him in our day. Seal our decisions to follow you in all things, we pray, in the name of your Son. Amen. <laughs>